Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the message. All right, we're going to teach out of Exodus today, actually for the next four weeks, and I'm going to start a series titled, Why the Wilderness? Man, this is a question that many of us have asked ourselves. Why am I here in this wilderness? What has happened? What did I do wrong that God has placed me out here in the wilderness and isn't listening to me any longer? Has God forsaken me? Has he forgotten me? Has he determined to shut his love off from me? And I will tell you that that's, none of those things are true. God hasn't forsaken you. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't shut his love off from you. Sometimes God places us in the wilderness to perfect us, to cause us to recognize, acknowledge his voice, to build our faith. There's a multiple number of reasons as to why the wilderness exists in our life. Sometimes it may just be due to our own stupidity, but more often than not, it could be that God is just trying to teach you something so that you could be more useful and pliable in the hands of the potter, as Pastor Davis said a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know about y'all, but I want to be useful in the hands of the potter. This is the second sermon series that I've taught similar to this. Three years ago, I taught a series called, called It's Okay to Be Broken, and how in our brokenness, God is able to remake us. And when I taught that sermon series, this first issue that I had happened within a week or two. I intended to teach this one, and God said, no, you need to put you in the wilderness for a little while first. And then this last medical episode happened. But I, you know what? I, I've come out of all of those episodes, each of these episodes, with one clear understanding that God hadn't forgotten me. That it wasn't because I was being punished that I was sick. It wasn't because God had determined evil for me that I was being punished. My body was broken. But because he intended to build something more beautiful and magnificent through me. And so I tell you the same thing. Whatever it is you're going through, God is intending to use to make you more magnificent. Amen? There's a promise in the Word of God that says God has not forsaken you. In Deuteronomy 31.8, he said, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail. Did y'all hear that? That means he will not. Do y'all know this is the infallible Word of God? That it's absolutely true? There's no inaccuracy in it? So if it says God will not fail you, guess what? He will not fail you. He would be incapable of failing you because it's his word and he's not capable of lying. 
So he hasn't failed you, nor has he forsaken you, period. Do not fear or be dismayed. I'm here to tell you today, no matter what your wilderness experience is, what you're dealing with, what issue you might have, there's a, there's a promise here that God hasn't failed you, God hasn't forsaken you, so stop fearing and stop being dismayed. Instead, seek the face of God and ask him, what is it I'm going through this wilderness for? What do you want me to learn? Many of us spend too much time in our desert place, in our wilderness space, because we don't ask the right questions. We just labor around and whine and complain without stopping and saying, God, what are you teaching me? Maybe if we stopped and asked God what he's teaching us, we'd be able to get out of the wilderness faster. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Or he himself has said, I will never desert you. How often will he desert you? Never. Nor will I forsake you. Nor will I ever forsake you. How often will he forsake you? Never. He will never forsake you. If you don't hear me say anything else today, listen. God holds you in his righteous right hand on your worst day. God holds you in his righteous right hand on your best day. If the whole world belongs to him, then that wilderness space belongs to him too. And he has control over it. I need you to find a place of peace in the wilderness knowing that God's plan is overarching your problem. All right. So, with all that being said, there's a time in each of, an our, in each of our lives when we believe that we know what the will of God is for our life. Anybody ever known what the will of God is for their life? And then thought, oh, maybe I missed it. Yeah? Nobody? I have. I believe Moses was the same way. In 11 and 12 of chapter 1, we read this. Now, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he took his way out, and that... So he took, looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. I believe that Moses had some inkling that God intended to use him to free his brethren, his Israelite brethren, from the Egyptians. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't wait on God's timing. He determined to use his own timing under his own power and under his own strength and ended up at 40 years of age, being chased into the desert until he was 80 years of age. We have to be willing to be silent, which is what this lesson is teaching today, that sometimes the purpose of the wilderness is to put us in a place of silence where we can hear the voice of God. I don't know what God wants for me, and you're never going to know if you don't shut up. Is that fair? I'll explain it later, probably a little more eloquently. Probably not, though. <laughs> Moses had set his heart towards silence. If only we 
could set our heart towards silence, I think God would use us more effectively. Chapter 2, 15 through 23, reads like this. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. When the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flocks. So y'all understand what's going on, right? He's ran off into the desert. He's found a well to sit next to. These women come to feed their livestock. Some shepherds come, run the women off. Moses stands up, defends them, and then helps these women feed their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, that's these women, he said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherd. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you, why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zephora to Moses. When she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And it came about in the course of these days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. The first thing I want us to pay attention to, there's provision in silence. Many of us don't stay silent because we think we have to defend, we have to fend for ourselves. We have to make a way for ourselves. And so many of us, because we have a desire to make provision for ourselves, have plans for our life. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with silent with, with plans. We should make plans. According to Proverbs 6 9, it says, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. But Moses neither allowed the Lord to direct his steps, nor did he commit his plan to the Lord. At 40 years of age, he'd had, he took a plan, he had a plan, seized a hold of it, and it caused him to be cast out into the desert. He didn't give the justice that he wanted to the, for the Israelites to the Egyptians. Here's the problem with that. If you don't act justly with one group of people, but expect justice for another group of people, then you are not Christ-like because God is perfectly just. That means the same thing, the same judgment for everyone. And so he decided he was going to act on his own behalf to make provision for the Egyptian or for the Israelites, which ended up not happening. 
he ended up delaying potentially what God was trying to do because he tried to do it under his own power where he would have received the credit instead of God's power where through the miraculous, God would receive the credit, which is eventually what happened as we know. But it took 40 years for that to come to pass. Why? Because he desired to be the provision for himself and for the people instead of allowing God to be the provision. If I need to know which direction I'm going, I need to first be quiet and ask God, God, this is the plan that I have. I'm not asking you to put your stamp of approval on it. I'm asking you to tell me whether it's the right plan or the wrong plan. I need you to tell me whether I'm hearing right or whether I'm hearing wrong. This plan that I have, I just want to know if it's acceptable to you and if it's glorifying to you. And if the answer is no, walk away from it. It's okay. At the end of your life, it's not going to matter anyway. But listen, in the silence, God still makes provision. I just read you this story. What happened? Moses left Egypt, <coughs> still garbed up, looks like an Egyptian because that's what the women said. An Egyptian helped us, looked like an Egyptian, was sitting silently in the well. And God made a way for him to be fed, for him to be brought into a household, for him to be made family and to, for him to have his own son. All because in 40 years he was willing to be silent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What you're trying to do on your own won't be near as beneficial to you as what God will do if you'll be quiet and listen. He went from having nothing, losing everything, being chased out of the place that he had grown up in, to having a home, a family, and a son, all because God still provisional and still hasn't forsaken him, still hasn't forsaken us. But we have to ensure that we're not forsaking him either. Everybody all right? Whew, that's good. So this is, this is important. His son's name. I told you. He got a family, or he got a place, he got food, a, a place to stay, a family, a wife, ultimately a child, and he named him Gershom. It tells you in the text what that means. It says, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Doesn't seem like that big a deal, but it's a huge deal. Listen to me. Because of God's provision, he isn't a sojourner in a foreign land. He had been a sojourner in a foreign land. That land that he ran to ended up being his land. He was no longer there as a sojourner, somebody just passing by. That was his now. This thing that you're just passing by, this thing that you're just hoping for, this area that you're sojourning through, if you'll be quiet, perhaps the place that you're at is exactly where God wants you, where he wants to bless you, and where he wants to provide for you. But you're not going to know that if you don't stop 
and be silent in the wilderness. Amen? I, I desperately plead with you, be silent in the wilderness. Pastor Jim, that's tough. I know. I'm not going to say I know better than anybody in here, but I know. When I got saved in 2006, very quickly met up with Pastor Rick through a Sunday school class. Somebody invited me to his Sunday school class. I'll add, when I got saved, I almost immediately, Angela will tell you, I almost immediately felt a call to ministry, but I didn't know what that meant because I just got saved, called to ministry. I don't know what that is. Not long after that, it started to define itself as, a, as preaching. Didn't know if it was evangelism, pastoring, whatever, some combination of the two. I didn't know what that looked like. But I met Pastor Rick, and for six years, I sat under his ministry, and I trusted him, and I followed him, and I was silent before him. And I would ask him every year. I say, I feel like I've got this thing in me that's being called to preach. I want to go talk to my pastor about it, who was Pastor Davis, and ask him to pray to confirm my calling. And first year, he said, no, you're not ready. So I asked the second year. He said, no, you're not ready. Third year, no, you're not ready. Can, you, can I tell you, after three years, you get a little tired being told no. Fourth year, fifth year, and sixth year, no, you're not ready. Sometime during that sixth year, he told me I was ready. I set up an appointment with my pastor to have my pastor just pray. Do you believe I have this calling on my life? Help me confirm this calling on my life. Set up the appointment, walked in my pastor's office. He looked at me and he said, did I set this meeting or did you? I said, well, I did, but if you got something to say, go ahead. Y'all remember why I set this meeting up? To ask my pastor to confirm my calling while remaining silent because my authority told me to remain silent. And the word my pastor told me the day that I was asking him to pray up for me was we just had a pastor leave our staff, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to come on staff here. Did y'all hear that? I didn't have to kick up any, open any doors on my own. I just had to sit silently, hear a no for six years, until I heard a go. And God gave me provision for the calling that I had. I never even had to ask the question. Angel will tell you that's absolutely true. I told her, I said, hey, I'm going to go. I finally got a meeting with Pastor Davis. 45 minutes later, I called her. And I said, this dude offered me a job. Sometimes it just takes the silence. Amen? Why your wilderness? There's several reasons why you might have wilderness. There's a purpose for your silence. Silence clears the white noise from your mind. The world's too loud. Do y'all know that? We must take the time to seek after God with undivided attention. Jesus went away to pray. If he went away to pray, do you not think it's important that we 
go away to pray? I got too much static in my head all the time. It's the reason my prayer closet is literally my office. I'll shut the door. I'll close the door. I'll just sit silently. Or I'll just sit silently in the living room. Angela asked me, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm just trying to hear something. Because I don't want to miss it. You know why I don't want to miss it? Because I have missed it. To be completely honest with you, there's times that I've missed it. But if I was silent and the white noise was removed, then the second reason, which is silence allows a greater connection to God, could happen. In the silence, God will speak to you. Listen to this verse. It's very familiar to you. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That doesn't make any sense in context of what you're talking about. Listen to this. Drawing near to God means dragging yourself away from the noise, away from the frustrations of your life. Sometimes I have to get away from all the stuff going around me to draw near to God. And what that does is it stops me being double-minded with my mind over here on God and my mind over here on worldly things and then causes me to be single-minded because the Bible says a man that is double-minded should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. I don't know about y'all, but I need something from the Lord all the time. And so it is imperative that I become single-minded. And that happens as I remove the white noise and draw near to God. Allow God to speak to me. Amen? Here's the problem. There's a, there's a minor prophet in your Bible named Habakkuk. Habakkuk, this, it's a very frustrating book, really. Habakkuk, at the very beginning of the book, asked God seven questions. Chapter 1. Seven questions. And they're tough questions. They're not all, hey, why is the the sky blue? They're all, why are my enemies prospering? You told me things would be better than this. Obviously, Habakkuk's got some desert problems going on. Got some wilderness problems going on. And then this is what he says at the beginning of chapter 2. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. You know what the rampart is? Rampart's the furthest place away from the center of the city while still being protected by the city. So he's saying, I'm going to remove myself as far from the noise as I can. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. When I get to the rampart, find your rampart, people. When you get to your rampart, it says, I will see what he has to speak to me. Here's the reason we don't do it and how I may reply when I am reproved. That's reprimanded. Did you know that sometimes we're in our wilderness place because we have refused reprimand from God? God is tried by the power of his Holy Spirit to correct us. We sit in the silence, but we refuse to hear correction. And when we refuse to hear correction, God's going to keep us in the wilderness. So go to your rampart. Go to your well. Go to your wilderness place. Expect God to show up. But be quiet while you're there. And expect to be reproved before He gives you vision. Man, I thought that'd be one amen anyway. That's, that's good stuff right there. That's decent exegesis, you know? I'm trying to help. 
Not just you, I'm trying to help me. Because my life is as busy as y'all's. Y'all's life may be busier than mine, I don't know. But there's very little time that I calendarize to just sit silently before the Lord. But we should calendarize the time to sit quietly before the Lord. Amen? The, the final reason silence is important is silence gives God a chance to talk to us. How many of y'all pray at least once a week? All right, cool. I'm not going to ask more than that because I don't want to hurt your feelings by asking you to raise your hand you lie to me about it. But how many of y'all's prayer be all, Heavenly Father, I got this thing going on. I need your help with this. Would you help me with this? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, amen. And then you get up and you walk away. How many of you guys have intentional still time after your amen? Because if you're not, you're not praying. You're talking. I've just asked God to help me. I've asked God to give me direction. I've asked God what's going on in my life, what he expects of me, and then I take no time to sit still and let him answer those questions for me. Do you think God won't answer the questions you ask him? Do you know it's, it's the will of God that we pray to him? And the Bible says anything we ask according to the will of God, he hears us. And because he hears us, we have what we ask for. But we have to be willing to sit and listen to what that is. And we can't do that with our mouth open. Let me tell you, this is hard for me because I'm with my mouth open all the time. I was expecting an amen on that too. <laughs> the wilderness doesn't have to be a bad place if the wilderness is teaching us something. You know, the book of Habakkuk that I referenced a little while ago, chapter one's the question, chapter two's the write the vision, prepare yourself to hear. Chapter three, God never answers any of his questions. Isn't that frustrating? But listen to this. Even though God never answers any of his questions, he moves Habakkuk from asking questions of God to a place of peace concerning God. 17, chapter 3. Though the fig should not blossom, and there, there, and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fall and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and yet no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will exult, that's praise, in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet, which means I'm stable, and makes me walk on high places. Sometimes the silence may not answer our question. It may just bring us back to a place of trusting God, even with the unanswered question. I believe we're always going to have some unanswered question in our life. But in the unanswered question, how beautiful would it be to recognize the God that we serve? 
that he is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, transcendent, which means he knows all things. He is in all places. He is all-powerful. And he's a transcendent above all things. And so has a perspective over your life and your future that you can't possibly have. The Bible says he's the beginning and the end, that he created everything. He's our father, our peace, our protection, our healing, our provision, our shepherd, and so much more. You want to know why silence is important? Because as I sit silently, I meditate. And as I meditate, these things come to my mind. And as these things come to my mind, I find my place of peace. Even when I struggle, if I could just get to the foot of the cross and see the beauty of the love that God has for me. I don't, I don't want to make this come off weird or sound weird, but it's true. I would suffer daily in agony if I thought God was using it to perfect me or to perfect somebody watching me. But can I tell you that's only a place I've come to through silence. You're never going to come to that naturally. Only by the Spirit of God are you coming to that. Amen? So for these reasons, I'm convinced Moses was sent into the wilderness. It's the same reason why the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He wanted to remove the white noise from Jesus' life. He wanted to, his connection to the Father to be greater. And in the silence, he wanted Jesus to be strengthened, and Jesus was strengthened. Amen? It's from that point that he left the desert and declared why he's here, what he was doing, who he was. Because the silence affirmed through relationship with the Father that it's His will He desired to do above all things. Is that your will? To do what God desires above all things? I hope it is. If there's such benefit to silence, why aren't we silent more? I think there's three reasons. The first one's fear. We're scared of the silence. We fear God will ask us to do something hard. And He will. It may not be hard for me, but it'll be something hard for you. I told a young man one time, I said, the best way to get an answer from God in regard to your calling, in regard to who you should be, is to come up with a preemptive yes and then ask the question. Tell God, Yes. I'm going to say yes, Lord, to whatever you tell me. What, what do you want me to do? Because until God has your preemptive yes, why would he give you an answer? Don't fear hard things. Embrace them. Because 10,000 years from now, somebody is going to celebrate their eternity because you didn't fear. We don't, we don't say, sit in silence like we should because our pride we think we can do it without them. And we can't. 
You might be tough. You might be all of that. But I've never met anyone that tried to do something under their own strength that accomplished all they could do under the strength of God. Or they're insecure. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'm not capable of doing what God's asked me to do. Y'all ever thought of that? That thought ever crossed your mind? Man, I know that's what God wants me to do. I'm not capable of that. I thought the same thing when we planted this church. I can't do that, man. That sounds hard. I can't do that. <laughs> As you think in your heart, so can you. And with God in your heart, I promise that you can. And finally, the power of silence. God deserves our silence and rewards it. Three, chapter three, verse 10 and 11 read like this. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Right? As a man thinks in his heart. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you. This shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God at this mountain. The power of silence is in our calling. Listen to me, I'm going to tell you all something's going to blow your mind. It shouldn't, because I've said it before, but it will. I believe every person in the church has a calling on their life to this church and to God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this church. You'd be in somebody else's church. You're a gift to God in this church. I could prove that to you in Scripture. It's a whole other teaching. But some of us are so scared to talk to people we don't know, get out of our own box, or do whatever it is God's asked us to do, that we figure we're just going to be loud so we don't have to hear. Don't be loud. Listen. In the wilderness, God may be trying to teach you silence so that God can ultimately show you your purpose. Amen? All right. So, Here's what I want to do. Daniel, Daniel, come up here. I didn't tell you this. I'm sorry. I'm going to have Daniel. He's not going to sing. He's just going to play a little something on the piano or the guitar or whatever. And I want you, we're going to take two minutes just as an exercise to just practice silence. I'll come back. I'll pray as closed. In your silence, meditate on God. Don't ask him anything. Just meditate on how big he is, how beautiful he is, how loving he is, how capable he is. Let him, by his Holy Spirit, minister to you in your not talk.
Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, teach us to love you enough to be quiet in your presence. Recognizing that sometimes your voice comes as thunder on top of a mountain. But sometimes your voice is but a whisper. God, my desire for me, my desire for the people, as I believe it's your desire, is that we sit quietly long enough to hear what you expect of us. God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you you move on your people, that you strengthen them to know that even in their wilderness place, you intend them no harm, that you still hold them according to your word, that you are still a shepherd to them. God, show yourself to us. And let us in our silence see who you are. I praise you, Lord, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.